What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spaziti, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spaziti program. Where we talk about financial freedom and economics. All right, if you guys are joining me for the first time today, first and foremost, I'd like to say welcome. And second, guys, you know, I would like to, to ask you to take the 10 episode challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where you basically go back and you binge listen to the last 10 episodes of the podcast. The main reason for this is we don't do drive-by news and, you know, we don't do, we don't talk about news in a vacuum, right? We don't talk about politics and economics in a vacuum. You know, I'm going to be referencing stuff that you guys aren't even going to be aware of if you don't go back and listen to the last 10 episodes. So that's one of the reasons that I ask you to do that is because I'm Again, we're going to be, I'm going to be defining things in past episodes. If you're just joining me here today, you're not going to really understand what I, what, what I said. So please go back and listen to last 10 episodes so that you understand what I'm talking about. And on top of that also, guys, there's also a lot of value back there. And I don't mean to be arrogant by saying this, but there's a ton of value back in all those episodes that I've done. I think you would really be doing yourself a disservice if you just started listening today and you don't go back and listen to the episodes. If you want to do more than 10 episodes, and that's great, but I think you'll get a lot of value out of the show if you go back and listen to the last 10 episodes. All right, so today we got an interesting topic for you guys. You know, we're going to be talking about the national debt. And uh, we're, I've got two articles from fee.org. If you guys are unaware, fee is the foundation for economic education. And really, you know, fee.org has a lot of really great stuff. They don't produce like super, super long articles. If you want to get into the really nitty gritty of Austrian economics and free markets, you really want to go to Mises.org. That's actually my favorite website for economics and whatnot. Mises.org is absolutely amazing. The problem with them is that their articles can be very hard to understand. They get really into the nerdy economic stuff. And then they also, their articles can be kind of long. So that's one of the issues with fee. or the Mises Institute. But the fee.org is, really was a, was a economic foundation, an economic institution that was really founded from Frederick Hayek, you see. And I don't think that they were founded by those people individual. I think they were just people in their lives that wanted to create an economic foundation, an institution in their names, right, and in their honor. So the Mises Institute, I believe, was actually done by his wife and some other people that were interested in creating the institution after Ludwig von Mises had passed away. Frederick Hayek and the fee... I, you know, Foundation for Economic Education. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that started. I don't know if it was Frederick Hayek actually started it or whether it was some people in his life that started it after he passed away. I'm not entirely sure. But Frederick Hayek, for those of you guys who don't know, he was one of Ludwig von Mises's protégés, if you will, uh, along with Murray Rothbard. And these were just two of, of his protégés. He did have other people, of course, but two of his protégés were Murray, two of his most popular ones that most people know about were Frederick Hayek and 
and Murray Rothbard. So anyways, just to give you guys a little bit of background behind the two organizations, and then there's also the American Institute for Economic Research, which, which mind you, that is actually uh, Jeffrey Tucker, who's an anarcho-capitalist. He went off, and I believe he started, or at least he he helped, he, he's there right now. And I, I'm not sure if he started it or he co-founded it or, or what, but that's another great publication as well that I love to draw from. You know, these are my top three publications for getting really good political and economic insights that really will help you to ultimately understand what's really going on in our world today. Again, economics that is what we use to as a framework to view all the events that are happening around us. It's the glasses that we use to see everything in and it helps us to understand what's going on, what are the incentives of people, you know, are we're all, you know, serving our own self-interest and in the end it helps us to understand what's coming down the road. It helps us to get a good idea of all that stuff that's really going on. So it's it's a really, really, really good thing to keep in mind. This is why we talk about economics and particularly Austrian economics all the time is because I think it's incredibly important to understand that way we can see the things that are coming down the, ra- the, the line and we can see how like what is going to happen in the future. Now, economics is very good at seeing things come down the line. It is, however, not very good at timing, okay? So that's one of the things you need to keep in mind. It's not the best at timing. So anyways, that said, let's go ahead and hop into the topic today. The first article we're going to read, we're going to read two articles today. I hope they're they're not really that long, but um, I think that they're very good. And ultimately, I I think it's worth reading them. If you guys want to go and read them yourself, I will include that in the show notes page. So anyways, let's go ahead and hop into this. The first one is the national debt will explode under Biden or Trump, new report shows. Now, this was written by Brad Palumbo. I am hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, Palumbo? Palumbo? Pal- I think so. Brad Palumbo, I think is, I'm sa- is, I hope I'm saying that right. I may be butchering it, um, but I, I, th- I think that's right. Anyways, uh, both of these articles I'm going to read today are actually from him. So, in our ultra-tribal politics today, both sides often frame elections as catastrophic. If the bad team wins in November, we're told that everything will fall apart, but if the good guys are elected, then everything will be okay. This narrative might help partisan activists drive voter turnout, but we just got even more proof that it isn't based in reality. This is something that I personally been saying for quite some time. It doesn't really matter whether you're voting red or blue, Republican, Democrat, whatever. You know, it, it doesn't matter. In the end, they're all basically one, you know, political party. They're, they're basically in the favor of big government, more, more money, more spending, more power to the government. That's effectively what they are. But anyways, let's get back into this. After all, the disastrous state of our public finance and runaway national debt is the most pressing issue facing our country today. But a new report from the nonpartisan committee for a responsible budget shows that we're in trouble no matter which party wins the White House. Under current law, trillion-dollar annual budget deficits will become the new normal even after the current public health emergency subsides, the organization warns in its introduction. Meanwhile, the national debt is projected to exceed the post-World War II record high over the next four-year term and reach twice the size of the economy within 30 years. The report reads, four major trust funds are also headed for insolvency, including the highway and Medicare hospital insurance trust funds within the next presidential term. Things are already bad, and they're only going to get worse. The national debt is just recently broken, astounding $27 trillion. That's $216,000 per U.S. taxpayer. The study analyzes the spending and tax proposals from President Trump's re-election campaign and those of his Democratic rival Joe Biden to see how they would impact this crisis. Turns out processes are bleak under either one. 
Under Trump's plans, the debt would increase by $4.95 trillion over 10 years, which comes out to roughly $35,000 in new debt per taxpayer. Under a Biden policy regime, the debt would rise by even more, a whopping $5.6 trillion over a decade, or roughly $39,000 per taxpayer. Both figures are on top of the 216000 taxpayers currently owe. And he shows a chart here that you can look at if you want to. It's important to analyze the debt figures relative to the overall size of the economy. Under the status quo, the federal debt is projected to hit 109% debt to economy ratio by 2030. Under Trump, it would hit 125% over the same time frame. Under Biden, it would hit 129%. Okay, so Trump is 125 and Biden is 129. However, you shouldn't come away from this report with some sort of false equivalency between the Biden-Trump campaigns. For one, the deficit projections for Biden's agenda are somewhat worse. But much more importantly, we must consider how the two candidates would arrive at these deficits. According to the budget report, Biden's deficit increases would be the product of $11.1 trillion in new spending, partially offset by about $5.8 trillion in increased taxes and revenue. Meanwhile, Trump's deficit increases would be driven by $1.7 trillion in tax decreases paired with several trillion in new government spending. Now, here's something that's important before we continue with this article. You need to understand he's going to be decreasing taxes. Okay. So again, let's, I'm going to reread this line. Trump's deficit increases would be driven by 1.7 trillion in tax decreases. Okay. Then paired with more government spending. So let me get this straight. You're going to decrease your revenue, yet you're going to increase the spending. Sounds like you're going to be increasing the debt. That's the only way. Unless, of course, they are talking about the Laffer Curve. Now, it's important to understand what the Laffer Curve is. The Laffer Curve was created by a man named Arthur Laffer. And basically, he wrote, he wrote a lot of papers that you know, were making a very, or at least what appeared to be a very persuasive case that the of the legitimacy of the curve that he created. Now, cl- granted, Clearly, he was biased because he created the curve itself, and it has his name attached to it. So clearly, he wants to say that it always works. Now, whether or not I agree with the Laffer Curve, whether you agree with the Laffer Curve, um, is largely irrelevant. I'm not really going to go into that. But what the Laffer Curve basically states is that at a zero tax rate, tax revenues would be zero, and at a hundred percent, a hundred percent tax rate perfectly enforced, tax revenues would also be zero. When the rate rises from zero, revenues rise from zero. Voila, that's what the Laffer Curve is. Now, I read that from a little piece here from econlib.org that didn't really describe it, but gave a little uh, explanation as to what the Laffer Curve is. But basically, it's this mathematical chart, okay, that more or less shows you this curve. And what he's saying is that if we tax nobody anything and there's zero tax rate, then obviously the revenues are going to be zero. If the tax rate is 100%, then again, and it's perfectly enforced, which in most cases it's not, by the way, but again, if it's perfectly enforced, in theory at least, tax revenues would also be zero. However, what does this have anything to do with the article that we're talking about here at fee.org. Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Basically, what it says is that there is a certain point where you can have lower taxes, so not even at 50%, but it could be lower than 50%, yet you could have the maximum amount of tax revenue. So it's a little little, uh, 
unintuitive. The lower the tax rate, the more revenue you're going to bring in because less people are going to try to be avoiding your taxes. Whereas the higher the tax rate, the less revenue you're going to bring in because it's more excessive and it's more, you're stealing more people's money. So therefore they're going to look for loopholes and other ways of getting around it. So as to avoid the taxes. So theoretically speaking, you could decrease taxes. According to the Laffer curve, you could decrease taxes and still increase the revenue, the tax revenue, because more and more people would be willing to pay that tax simply out of convenience. You know, if, if I got, you know, l- let's assume that you make a lot of money today and you're a millionaire, okay? And you make millions of dollars and you're paying a massive, massive amount of money in tax revenue. Let's say that you decide that actually it's, it's cheaper to make a company overseas. It's cheaper to open bank accounts and store my money overseas. And it's a heck of a lot cheaper to pay some tax attorneys to help me set all this process up. You know, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Puerto Rico. I'm going to set up a company there. As long as I'm making money that's outside of Puerto Rico, I only have to pay a 4% tax to the Puerto Rican government. The business does. Okay. And then I can still, I, I, my income coming in from that business doesn't get taxed at all. And then on top of that, I can basically use that money anywhere in the United States. I can still use U.S. banks and all that kind of stuff. And the U.S. government will not tax me a dime because, and that's it. See, that's one of a really, really great tax strategy. You can only get taxed 4%. And I think it's of the business's revenue, not of your, your personal income that you're drawing from the business, but you're only paying 4% right? And you're not paying any taxes on the U.S. government side. Well, you see, now there's that's an alternative. And there are alternatives in other countries to reduce your tax liability and your tax rate as well. So if you're really, really wealthy and the taxes get too burdensome, then ultimately you're going to take your money elsewhere. You're not going to leave your money there. You see, it's all about incentives, right? So in the end, In the event that the tax rate is lower and you're okay with paying those taxes, you're like, well, you know, yeah, I could go to Puerto Rico. Yeah, I could save more money, but really that's really inconvenient. I mean, that's a lot of headache. I'm going to pay more money to the freaking, uh, you know, tax attorneys and to just structure the business. I'm going to pay more money to do all that than I would if I simply just paid the U.S. taxes. So I'm just going to pay the U.S. taxes for now. If they get worse, I'll do that later. You know, I don't really want to go through the inconvenience of it all. See, it's a whole convenience factor, right? That's what it is. So if that's what they're saying, and they are under the assumption that if Trump is going to basically, his deficit increases would be driven by 1.7 trillion in tax decreases paired with several trillion in new government spending, he could be under the assumption that I'm going to be pulling in more tax revenue due to that. But still, th- that I, I personally, I believe that that's limited. You're not going to be pulling in enough money to make up for the budget that you're having. And in the end, you're still going to be borrowing money because, you know, I don't even when you increase the tax revenue, there is no amount of tax revenue that you could increase that would, you know, that's basically going to allow you to pay for everything that the government is paying for. That's just not going to happen. You know, we pay for way too much and it doesn't matter. Even if you reduce taxes, it doesn't really matter. There's the government spends too much. Okay. 
And before you want to jump on the bandwagon and actually blame the government for that, remember, the government is a direct representation of its people, okay? The government, uh, politics is downstream from culture. Our culture is one that wants all the government spending because we love all the free stuff that we get. We love Social Security. We love Medicaid. We love Medicare. We love our high, our public roads, our highways. We love all kinds of stuff. If you are in favor of welfare, you know, you love welfare. You love the Affordable Care Act. You know, basically free health care. You know, if you're in favor of universal, universal basic income, they love that too. They want to make college free for everyone. Again, people, it has more to do with the culture and the entitled mentality and the victimhood mentality that our entire nation has that really drives the government to do this. Because again, what is the government? It's a bunch, at least what are politicians that are voted in? They're, ta- they're voting whores. They whore themselves out for votes. That's what they do. They will do anything that they have to do to get votes. They are vote whores, I guess you could say. It's kind of a a, a crude way of putting it, but you get the point, right? That's what they do. They sell themselves so that they can get votes because in the end, their income, their livelihood, their power, their status comes from getting elected. They'll sell their own mother into, you know, slavery if it means getting a vote. Some of them would. I don't know if they would all do that. I mean, clearly this is just more of me, you know, just painting a picture to describe to you how they're willingly to easily, they would be willing to switch sides and all kinds of stuff. But you, 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 I hope you get the idea, right? The idea is that they would do virtually anything to get votes because that's what they do. But anyways, let's go ahead and jump in back into the article. Even if deficit outcomes were similar, a scenario with lower taxes and less government spending is highly preferable. It means Americans get to keep more of their own property, less economic harm from anti-growth tax incentives, and less intrusion of the government into the overall economy. But we should still take from this report an underlying economic lesson. Absent limits on their power, politicians and governments, government officials of all partisan stripes cannot be counted on to enact fiscally responsible policies. They will always have a strong political incentive to simply splash the cash now for votes and stick the bill and future fiscal crisis down the line for future Americans to deal with. This phenomenon was aptly realized by the Nobel Prize winning economist James Buchanan, who founded the school of thought known as public choice theory. Public choice theory applies the understanding that rational people act in their own self-interest to the incentives faced by government officials who are too often naively thought of as benevolent actors who simply act in the quote-unquote common good. This doesn't mean politicians are evil or even bad people. He gives them a bit more credit than I do, Uh, but still. It means they're just like everyone else. As econlib.org puts it, public choice assumes that people are guided chiefly by their own self-interests and more important, that the motivations of people in the political process are no different from those people in the stake, housing, or car market. The problem? When self-interest drives individuals' decision-making in in free private markets, the invisible hand, or that has been more or less dubbed by Adam Smith, works its magic. Each person acting in their own interest drives the whole market to an efficient outcome because all interactions require mutual consent and therefore inherently leave both parties better off. Yet when the same self-interest motivation is applied to politicians, it means that they have the incentive to ignore what's best for the people in the long run and simply do whatever best serves their short-term re-election interests. As the Cato Institute's David Boaz summarized, Buchanan worried that both majorities and legislatures would be short-sighted, economically ignorant, or inefficient, and indifferent to the 
imposition of burdens on others. Those worries sure seem prescient right now. The latest budget reports offer another reminder that we can't put our trust in Team Red or Team Blue to save the day. Instead, we need to enshrine safeguards in the system itself, such as debt ceilings, mandatory spending cuts via long-term sequesters, or balanced budget amendments. Hoping that politicians of any party will lead us out of our current fiscal calamity is deeply naive. But by working together to change the system itself, the American people can steer our country back on track. Now, there are a few things that he kind of assumes here, okay? Mr. Uh, Palumbo, uh, Brad Palumbo, he thinks that we can reform the system from the inside out. I don't. I'm more of a separatist. I don't believe that we can reform the system. It's a waste of time because the actual culture and society do not support the reform efforts that need to take place and the ultimate overall, the principles that the culture and society have to have is simply not present in order to make the changes that Mr. Palumbo thinks is prob- is is necessary in order to fix the problem. Meaning that this is the, and this is really the crux of democracy and republics, Right. Man is sinful, okay? If you're not a Christian, you're not going to agree with this. You know, fine. You don't have to listen to the show. But I am, so it's my show. Man is sinful, okay? Humanity is sinful, not just men, you know, men and women. If you are a human, you are a sinful person. As a result of that, I believe that democracy and republics are largely the downward spiral of humanity's sinful nature. And really, monarchy was a much better system, but as we begin to decline our morality, our values, ultimately, we go in cycles. Yes, the world certainly goes in cycles, but it's certainly moving more and more to the left. The cycles are constantly, you know, moving to the left. I think this was really talked about uh, by Matthew Erickson on the Wealth, Power, and Influence show where based with Jason Stapleton, which basically talks about how, yes, the culture is cyclical, but it's also linear, okay? So while it is cyclical, kind of going into this circle, it's also moving more and more and more to the left. Well, that's because of sinful nature. Now, I don't know whether either Jason Stapleton or Matthew Erickson are Christians. I have no idea. Um, But I believe it's because of man's sinful, the decline, the further decline and, and downward spiral of man's sinful nature that started at, you know, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That said, okay, that said, We are currently in a time right now where I don't believe that the the culture is willing to do what is necessary to take the pain that is necessary to reform the system. And even when the, the pain is forced upon them, they will turn to even worse uh, situations. They will turn to even worse solutions, such as outright socialism, communism, something, something, and, and probably some form of dictatorship, something of that nature. I don't believe that they will turn to a very, very positive system. Now, once that system ends, I hope that they will turn to monarchy and they will appoint a free market, you know, liberty-oriented monarchical individual. That said, I don't even know if that's possible because really I look at our society and our culture today and I don't see a lot of people that are like that. Yeah, there are libertarians. Yes, there are people who claim they're conservative. They're not really conservative at all, you know, and in reality, I just don't know if there's an individual, if our culture supports that, that the, the, the necessary characteristic traits that is required to appoint a king or any, but anyways, that's, that's, that's down the line. But guys, look, this is the nature of democracy or republics or any hybrid system thereof. 
okay? The fact is, is that the politicians are not incentivized to fix the problem. They're only incentivized to be short-sighted and ignorant and inefficient. They're not incentivized to be long-sighted. They're not incentivized to ensure the system's survival because they're just voted in. They have short, they have some terms. Even if you were to increase their terms indefinitely and there's no more voting once we get them in, that's it. So a dictator essentially, you know, even if you were to do that, it's still, he doesn't own the system. They don't control he or she, whoever it is, whatever politician is, whatever bureaucrat is. They don't own the system. They're just now more of a permanent caretaker of the system. They're still incentivized to be short-sighted. They're still incentivized to leech as much as they can off the system. That is the truth. And in the end, the people themselves are not even incentivized to do what is right because they love all the stuff that the government gives them. Even if it's not really within their self-interest long term, doesn't matter. They don't see it that way. You see, they have been trained to be short-sighted and it, all you know, pretty much all their life. They have an incredibly, incredibly high time preference. That means they're very short-sighted. That's an economic term. That means they're very short-sighted. They're, they're not interested in saving and investing. And that doesn't necessarily mean investing in the stock market, but like investing in businesses, investing in yourself, your skills. They're not interested in that. They're only interested in consumption and a lot of it and consuming as much as they possibly can. They haven't had the proper education to break out of that. And they're really taught by our society at large today that this is the way that it should be, even though it's not. Okay? So it's incredibly important to understand that. So I don't think that in the end, the system's ever going to be fixed. That's why I'm a separatist. That's why my goal is to become financially free and to, in effect, ditch the system. Now, if you want to criticize me for running away and being a coward, okay, that's fine, but you need to understand that this is the history of America that we have. This is the very foundation of America. The very people that came over here on the Mayflower from Plymouth in the UK, okay, Plymouth, England, they freaking were separatists. They were. They didn't want anything to do with the with the UK government. Now, granted, and then the founding fathers were also separatists. They wanted to separate from the UK government. From the now, you want to say the monarch? He wasn't really that much of a monarch at that time. I mean, his power was was limited. There was still Parliament at that time during the War for Independence. You know, there it was still a constitutional monarchy is the term. There's an there is still an essence of 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 democracy that's there that's constantly eroding away at the monarchy's power. Okay? But even then, we, we revolted over what? A 4% sugar tax? Something like that? I mean, come on. I get taxed. I don't know about you, but I get taxed 15% on the federal level. And I know that my tax burden is probably even worse when I look at FICA, when I look at property taxes and everything else. I am getting screwed and I'm not even at the highest tax bracket. And many of you might be getting even screwed even more than that. Ladies and gentlemen, this, the system, is, this is the very foundation. Separatism is, is literally the very foundation of our country. Whether it's the founding fathers, whether it's the, the initial immigrants that came over here from the on the Mayflower, it doesn't matter. This is absolutely the very, what America was founded on, was separatism, liberty, freedom. You don't tell me what to do. I will live my life the way I want to live it. 
that's the very foundation of our nation. It's not, it's, it's not cowardice. It's not for lack of patriotism. The country that we all once thought lived is dead. It's been dead for a long time. America is nothing what it used to be. I, I don't even know if you could say it's a shadow of what it once was. The ideas that made America strong came from the people, and the people no longer believe those ideas anymore. Even many conservatives don't, although conservatives are a lot closer to it than progressives, at least in some areas. The fact of the matter is no one's incentivized to fix the issue. But let's go ahead and read this last article, and then we'll talk a little bit about, as we continue to go down this rabbit hole, what is the moral implications of it all? This article is actually going to talk about it. The last article kind of touched on it, and I really want to get into that because that's really, really, really intriguing. But before we do that, before we do this, let's go ahead and do some stuff with regards to affiliate programs and everything else. Just get that out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in learning how to be a Forex trader and you want to ultimately take control of the source of your income, but you, you're not really into the idea of selling products and services to somebody else, then hey, go check out Forex Trading. Check out Tier 1 Trading. Guys, Tier 1 Trading is the number one coaching platform, in my most humble opinion, with regards to Forex Trading. They're absolutely amazing. The, guy, the, the trading coaches that are there, you got Charles Miles, you got Akil Stokes, you got Jason Greystone. They're absolutely amazing teachers. They're very, very transparent. They won't teach you a strategy and say, well, if you lose money, no, it's, they're going to say, and they're going to pop your bubble right away. They're going to say of expectation, by the way, they're going to tell you that, um, no, you're going to lose money. It's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. So you need to control your risks, control your losses. You need to understand how to control risk, how to identify it how to control it. You need to understand the patterns that exist. They're going to teach you all kinds of stuff, ladies and gentlemen. It's absolutely amazing. I've been taught personally by Keel Stokes, and heck, I'm even being taught to this day by Charles Miles. He's absolutely, I talk to this day to him. We bounce ideas off each other all the time. They're really, really, really great individuals. I love them, each and every one of them. They're absolutely awesome. And here's the thing. They're going to teach you everything from, you know, technical analysis, how to read charts, how to read patterns. They're going to teach you how to, a, how to create strategy, how, your own strategy, how to backtest that strategy and basically validate it over historical data and then on present, current live data. And then they're going to teach you money management. Guys, money management is really the bread and butter of all traders. I mean, you, it's what allows you to exponentially grow your account. And it's really, really good stuff. So guys, look, they're going to teach you a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not going to list everything out, but they're going to teach you tons and tons and tons of stuff. I can't speak highly enough about their program and it's really, really good. So guys, go check them out. If you're interested in Forex trading, it's really great. It's a great way to basically take control of the source of your income. It really is. And the best part, you don't have to sell anything to any customer and have to deal with customer service or anything of the sort. You don't have to deal with that. All you got to do is learn how to come into the markets each and every day. So go check that out. All right, the next affiliate program that we got here for today is Money Metals Exchange. Now, this isn't actually an affiliate program. It's a referral program, okay? So if you guys are interested, look, we've talked about inflation, uh, monetary devaluation. In the last episode, we just talked about this. And in the end, I mean, look, monetary devaluation is eroding at the, the amount that your dollar is worth every single year. You might even say every day. Okay, your savings are at risk. That the, the, there's no other way to say it. So, in order to hedge and get an insurance plan against monetary devaluation, also known as inflation, 
in popular economic terminology, you know, basically we need a hedge against that. We need a hedge against inflation. And the best insurance policy that I know of, one of the best and easiest and cheapest ways to do it is buying silver. Okay. Gold is expensive. Bitcoin is expensive. Real estate is expensive. Platinum, palladium, rhodium, whatever you want to say. Diamonds for crying out loud. Well, they're also not very liquid, but they're also expensive. Okay. What you really want to do is you want something as a hedge against inflation, but you, if you're not super rich and wealthy, you don't have thousands of dollars lying around. One of the best ways you can do this is you guys could theoretically, now this is not giving you financial advice, but one of the ways that I do it at least is you could theoretically, and I basically, I, I take a certain percentage of the amount of money that I have, my net worth, and I invest some of that into silver. I take a certain percentage and I want to include that I want silver in there. Now, that does kind of mean you got to calculate your net worth. You got to look at all your expenses, all your assets that you could sell. How much could you sell them for? Some of this is theoretical, you know, because you're just kind of theoretically, you know, basing it off of numbers. You really don't know what you would sell an item for until you try to sell it and things of that nature. That said though, you know, ultimately you do the best that you can. And really, I just like to, I just like to buy silver. Silver's cheap. It's, it's not that expensive. You can get involved with it and it's a great hedge against inflation. I personally, what I do is I like to collect coins from uh, sovereign countries mints, okay? So I like to uh, collect coins from sovereign mints. And uh, basically, they have more of a collector's value. They're legal tender in those countries in most cases, you know, and that's what I like to do. I like to collect coins that are minted from the U.S. mint, from the U.K. mint, from, you know, the Europe, different European countries and their mints and stuff. You know, it's actually really, really cool stuff. And you can collect all different kinds of designs and all different kinds of coins and all, all sorts of stuff. I got coins from literally from like South Korea to Canada. I mean, I got lots of different coins and I, it's a great way to hedge against inflation. It's not a perfect hedge, mind you. Okay. It doesn't match a hundred percent with inflation, but it does rise with inflation. And that's incredibly important for you guys to understand if you want to have a hedge against it. It's, it's cheap, it's inexpensive and it's liquid. Most cases, in most cases, you can sell the very silver that you buy from different websites like Money Metals Exchange. You can sell them back to Money Metals Exchange. Granted, you want to wait for a significant price increase in order to do that. So you might be holding it for a long time, but that's something that you can do. They are liquid and it's not that expensive, not hard to get into it. So if you guys are looking for a, a, an easy and in, if inexpensive way of getting that insurance policy and having a hedge against inflation, buying silver is one of the number one ways to do it in my most humble opinion. Okay. That's not financial advice. I don't know what your finances look like. I'm not giving you investment advice, but what I'm saying is this is what I'm doing. If you guys are interested in doing the same thing, then go check out Money Metals Exchange. I bought stuff from, from Money Metals Exchange before. They're really, really great. And I, I like them a lot, but here's the thing. You can get a free coin from them today. And if you go and you buy a coin and you mention my name, now, first and foremost, you have to be a new customer. Okay. If you've bought stuff from Money Metals Exchange from them before, then it isn't going to count. They're not going to count it. And you have to mention my name. So you got to be a new customer and you got to mention my name. If you do those two things, then ultimately 
you will get a free coin and I'll get a free coin as well. So this is a really great program. I like it because we both benefit off of it and it's really great. And that, that's one of the main reasons I like it. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. See what you think. All right. That said, uh, last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, we got to do Skillshare. Guys, Skillshare is absolutely amazing. I love them very much. They're absolutely an amazing place for you guys to go and increase your human capital. Guys, it doesn't matter whether you are in good economic times or bad economic times. We should all be looking to increase our human capital. And one of the best ways to do that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to Skillshare. You know, you, look, you need to be making yourself more valuable as an employee if you are working for somebody else and you are a wage slave. You need to be making yourself more invaluable in your business by learning more skills. Look, if you don't know what you want to do, going to Skillshare and learning a new skill is one of the best ways to start. And it's not expensive. It's like $100 for an entire year. I think it's like $99 for the whole year. And uh, yeah, it's a really, really great place. They got thousands of courses ranging anywhere from photographies and to coding to how to fly drones, all kinds of stuff. They even have stuff with regards to financial markets. Uh, I, you know, whether that's trading Forex, trading futures, trading options, they got all kinds of stuff. So guys, if you want to increase your skill, which we all need to be doing, okay, I use Skillshare all the time. When I'm interested, I use them for like YouTube ads. I use them for website design, email copywriting. You know, I, I've even been, I've got a whole bunch of other courses on my list that I haven't gotten to yet, but guys, they're absolutely amazing. I highly encourage you. If you want to increase your skill, keep yourself valuable in these crazy times. Skillshare is a cheap way to do it. So go check them out. See what you think. And if you guys, hey, choose to get involved in any of those affiliate programs, you will be getting something really great and you'll be helping to benefit the show at the same time, which I can't stress enough is is really, really important. And if you choose to do that, I want to say thank you because this is how this show survives. It, sur- it survives off of y'all's generosity, you guys coming in here every day, and it also survives off you guys you know, more or less going and buying stuff from uh, my, my affiliates and whatnot. So that said, let's go ahead and start getting back into the topic at hand with the new article. This says, again, it's also, this is an article from fee.org and it's written by P- Brad Palumbo, uh, which was also the author of the last article. And it says, new report shows how Congress has screwed over the young people. All right. Now, this may sound a bit more political. It's actually quite economic and it's not progressive or anything left leaning. But we already knew that the budget deficit will hit a record breaking $3.3 trillion this year as the federal government continues to run up debt in response to the COVID 19 crisis. Yet, a new report from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, shows that we aren't just facing a short term spike in deficits. We're on an uncontrollable spiral towards perilous and unprecedented levels of debt. The CBO's latest findings update is already bleak projections with the latest spike in federal spending. It concludes that by 2021, the size of the national debt will exceed 104% of gross domestic products. Simply put, we will owe more in debt than our economy produces in an entire year. That's pretty crazy. Economists have long considered this important benchmark a red flag for a nation's debt. It's approaching truly harmful and potential catastrophic levels. 
By 2023, just a few years away, we will reach 107% as a debt to size of the economy ratio. This will officially put us in more debt than any time in American history, exceeding even the debt levels that were incurred during World War II. The long-term outlook is incredibly bleak. CBO finds that by 2050, the size of the national debt will be nearly double the size of our economy. It's important to note that the CBO's findings show a drastic escalation in our financial dismay just since last year. They now project a 45% higher debt to economy ratio in 2050 than they did in their 2019 projections. The below graph created by the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget shows just how much worse things have gotten in one year's time, a shift largely attributable to the lockdowns of COVID-19 crisis and Congress's ensuing free spending response. Most people intuitively understand why the federal government is drowning in debt isn't a good thing, but here are the specific ways in which massive levels of debt drag down our economy and fiscal future. High and rising federal debt makes the economy more vulnerable to rising interest rates and depending on how the debt is financed, rising inflation, the CBO explains. The growing debt burden also raises borrowing costs, slowing the growth of the economy and national income, and it's increasing and it increases the risk of a fiscal crisis. I would say that if it's already a fiscal crisis, not increasing the risk of one, we're already there, but okay. The report goes on to outline the two main ways in which the national debt hurts the economy. For one, it raises borrowing costs, reducing private business investment and slowing economic growth over time. And secondly, rising interest costs mean higher taxes and more money sent to overseas debt holders each year, directly decreasing national income. It's no coincidence that the CBO also projects lower growth. We will see average annual GDP growth of 1.6% from 2020 to 2050, roughly a full quarter percentage point less than it expected in June 2019. The last time it released long-term economic projections as the Wall Street Journal summarized. These are abstract figures in seemingly small percentages to the untrained eye. But be warned, they translate to trillions less in income for Americans. The economics of the debt are straightforward enough. But it's also important to understand the moral component of this issue. And this is really what I wanted to get at, guys. This is ultimately what I really want, why why I wanted to read this article to you. I know I'm reading two articles to you, and they're not exactly the shortest ones. Um, but it was really important that I thought that we tie these articles together and, and, and whatnot. So, but basically the runaway national debt is a vast intergenerational transfer of wealth. The benefit of today's spending are largely reaped by today's citizens. While the potential crisis level costs are all left for future generations to bear. The immorality here is clear. Imagine a hypothetical pair of parents. They live in upper middle class neighborhood and drive fancy cars. Yet all of a sudden something changes and they find themselves in tough times financially. They have a few responsible options. They could cut back their spending or they could borrow money to maintain their lavish lifestyle and pay it off themselves. Instead, they choose to take out a credit card in their child's name, load it up with hundreds of thousands of de- in debt and leave it for their kid to deal with when he or she grows up. We would all agree this is horrible, immoral parenting, yet it's also exactly what the federal government is doing to future generations of Americans. So as a, as bleak reports continue to come in from the CBO and other budget authorities, it's important to remember that the rising national debt is not just an economic issue, it's a moral test. And right now, our leaders, and I would also add our country, is failing this test abysmally. Okay? Guys, this is the whole crux of all of this kind of stuff, okay? The fact remains, ladies and gentlemen, that the more and more we spend and money that we don't have, 
that money eventually has to get paid by somebody. Someone is going to have to pay it. It's it's either that or no one pays it and people are going to get royally screwed if the money doesn't get paid. Which eventually probably is going to happen. You know, what's going to happen and this is the inevitable outcome and I've been and I've said this before in past episodes so I don't know if it's in the last 10 episodes or not but Again, I've said it before in the past, so if you want to go hunt it down and maybe start at episode one, hey, more power to you. I would be more than happy and thrilled if you guys decided to do that. But I've said this in the past, okay? And basically it's this, that democracies and republics are breeding grounds for inflationist policies, okay? And if the country at large is... The culture is entitled, the government, you know, and the, well, not just the government, not just entitled, but the, the culture is also victimhood status. It's not my fault, somebody else's fault, so someone else should pay. I shouldn't have to pay for this. I'm entitled. I think I'm important, yet I provide absolutely very little, if any value at all, to the country at large, to society. I'm basically a mouth breather, yet I feel like it is my right to have this lifestyle. And the fact remains, ladies and gentlemen, is that when the culture supports inflationist ideologies, inflation, the government is going to start also feeding off that and will eventually basically have inflationist policies. And what this does is, this is the inevitable outcome of democracies and republics, mind you or any hybrid system thereof, this is the inevitable outcome. They will start printing money. Or digitally, they will start creating money, kind of like the Federal Reserve and how it basically, you know, buys, takes on treasury bonds and treasury bills that the Treasury Department creates. Because really, the Treasury Department is the only real department in government that has the, the actual legal authority to print money. But the Federal Reserve can buy things with ones and zeros. People allow it to do this because they know that we can always just print money to solve the problem. But that's what happens. You know, the Federal Reserve buys assets. They buy, they type in on the computer a series of ones and zeros, and I know I'm oversimplifying it. For those of you economic nerds out there, I get it. It's much more complicated than that. But they're typing ones and zeros, and they're buying bonds, treasury bonds, treasury bills from the Treasury Department. They're doing the same thing on the stock market now. They're, they're basically giving money to, you know, BlackRock, which is an investment firm, and they're going out and they're basically buying junk bonds, just bonds in general, on the actual private exchanges. Ladies and gentlemen, this is only going to end in one way. Massive, massive printing of money. High monetary devaluation, or if you want to call it inflation, you can call it that. I mean, I, I disagree with that terminology, and it's, I think it's much more than semantics, but if it, you m- many of you may not know what monetary devaluation is, although I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't mean to be rude or anything. It's The monetary is money, money devaluation. You know, it's just money that's decreasing in value over and over and over again. I like to use that term because that is effectively a better way of describing it. It's monetary devaluation. That's what that that's what is ultimately occurring. It's not inflation. Inflation is the increase in the monetary supply. And if that money is circulated into the economy and people start spending it, 
then that will cause monetary devaluation, but not across, you know, not across all levels, right? So ladies and gentlemen, that's what's going to happen. It's inevitable. The culture doesn't support a change in that. The culture is immoral and they're going to saddle future generations with mounds and mounds of debt, which is eventually going to be paid by killing the currency of our nation and the financial system that the nation has. Not to mention the global economy is going to suffer heavily for this as well. Now, eventually, either the either the United States as a response will create its own currency because this is usually what you see happen. You're seeing this happen right now in Venezuela. You saw you saw this happen in the Weimar Republic. Okay, this is what countries do. They kill the currency by paying off all the debt that they owe and then eventually they just have to create another currency. That's what they do. That's what these policies lead us to. That's what this culture of our society is going to lead us to. There is no other way around it. You can't fix it. There are no good options. The only option is an option nobody wants to face. Okay, our country is a heroin addict and who needs more and more hits because of the law of diminishing returns right? He needs more and more hits of heroin in order to get the same level of effect. Before you know it, if the trend continues, the heroin addict's going to die. America is the heroin addict. Eventually, America is going to have to, is going to continue to print more and more money to pay for all the things that the culture thinks it deserves, the thing, the, the, all the things the culture thinks it's its right to have. Water, food, health care, it's all a right. How can you argue with a right? Load of BS if I ever heard it. You don't have very many rights, ladies and gentlemen. You have a few rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You have the right to not be murdered. And the, you have the, you know, that's the whole life part. Liberty. You have the right to be free, which we are not. Quite frankly, I don't even know, you know, I, I don't even know the last time Americans were free. You'd have to go very, very far back before you can honestly say they were probably free. And then the the pursuit of happiness, the ability to pursue your own dreams. But the, do you hear you have a right to food, water, health care? You hear income? Do you hear any of that in there? No. You don't have that. And in my opinion, even then, I say you have a right to whatever you can effectively earn on your own. And technically speaking, if you want the freedom of speech, you need to earn it. Create a company where you can have the freedom of speech. Become so wealthy and powerful, no one can take your speech away. It's not given to you. Okay? You don't have the freedom of speech unless you earn it. You know? I I believe very much in the freedom of speech, but you need to earn it. It's not just going to be given to you. Look at human history. Has the freedom of speech been something that anywhere in human history has really been supported very often? No. A lot of times, it hasn't been supported at all. America is a bit of an an anomaly, and these anomalies do happen throughout history, of course. But I don't believe that it's something that will continue forever. You want the freedom of food, shelter, health care? Income, for that matter, earn it. You don't have a right to it. You earn it. Figure it out. 
Don't come to me and start whining completely. Oh, Matthew, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm just poor. Yeah, whatever. Figure it out. Stop whining. Stop being a child. Grow up, be an adult, and figure it out. Stop complaining how you got screwed. We all get screwed all the time. Stop complaining how life isn't fair for you. Life isn't meant to be fair. You got to earn it. And you can either take that as a horribly depressing and very tough message, or you could take that as an incredibly liberating message and knowing that your life is ultimately in your hands and in your control. It's a matter of whether you want to take it or not. But saddling future generations with our debt that we are consuming today is morally wrong. It just is. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what moral system you cling to. I don't care what religion you're a part of. I don't care. Saddling future generations with a massive amount of debt that's going and killing the currency and ultimately reducing their livelihoods, making them even more so slaves than we were than we are today is wrong. Stop craving your social security check. It was money that was stolen. You didn't steal it, but it was, you voted for the politicians who did. And it's money that was effectively stolen. You should feel ashamed for taking that check. I'm not saying you're a terrible person for taking the check. You're not a terrible person, mind you, okay? I know I'm using a lot of really harsh terminology. You're not a terrible person for taking the money. It's in your own self-interest, right? But just understand the implications of where the money's coming from. It's being stolen, whether it's through taxation or whether it's to, through monetary devaluation slash inflation. It's being stolen one way or the other. Inflation is a hidden tax. Okay, it is. But it's still very much a tax. It's the tax that the politicians couldn't actually get you to agree to, so it was the only way to pay the debt. Maybe if the society was willing to suck up higher taxes and lower spending, maybe... You could fix the problem, but you know what? Our culture is too cowardice. You call me a coward because I'm a separatist. Guess what? You're a coward for not being willing to take the pain, for not being willing to take responsibility for your actions as a human being, as an adult. Clearly, you don't understand responsibility, and you certainly don't understand how to take responsibility for your actions. Assuming that you don't agree with me and whatnot. You know, I'm assuming that if you guys are here, you agree with me, you are not the people I'm talking to or at this point yelling at. You know, I get very, very passionate about this kind of stuff. It makes me angry. I mean, I got a daughter. Many of you have kids too. The only way to save ourselves and our children is to teach them how to take control of the source of your income. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you can really afford to continue being employed by somebody else, even if you got a good gig going for you. Use that as a, a, a mechanism to buy you more time to become financially free. Find different ways to become financially free so that you can inevitably and you can ultimately break away from the system, become a separatist, leave, get really nice tax benefits, high interest rate savings accounts in other countries, okay? Open yourself up to the world and not just to your nation. And then on top of that, start investing in things that's going to save 
you and your children's wealth. Teach your children about this kind of stuff. It's incredibly important. If you want, if you're not, if you don't feel confident doing that, then send them here. I mean, I, I try not to cuss. I try not to use crude terminology. I do that because I want younger generations to come here and listen to what I have to say. I want them to hear these ideas. That's why I do that. Granted, I don't really cuss that much in my, my, my normal personal life in the first place. I, I don't. It's not really who I am. But, you know, if I get angry enough, I, you know, just like anyone else, sometimes my uh, tongue loosens up there a bit. But I don't cuss people out. I don't think I've ever done that. Sometimes I let loose a cuss word or two, but for the most part, I'm not much into cussing in, to begin with. The fact remains, ladies and gentlemen, and I know it's a struggle of mine. As a Christian, no, I don't believe it's right to cuss. I think it is sinful, but I, I don't ever claim to be a, a um, you know, a saint. I don't ever claim to be perfect, right? I, I try to live my life the best that I can according to the principles and the that the Bible lays out. I try to live my life as best as I possibly can. And yeah, I fail. I fail a lot. You know, so does everybody else. It's just being human. But I try to improve. And it's, it's improving that I think is what really matters. You know, striving to have more successes and victories than failures. That's really what we need to strive for. That's improvement. Anyways, that said though, you know, Ladies and gentlemen, it's it's immoral to want all these government programs, to want all this stuff from the government. You're getting it from your your fellow neighbor. We're stealing it from somebody else. And then on top of all that, whether that comes from taxation or whether it comes from inflation or, you know, monetary devaluation, that's in effect what we're doing and it's wrong. And it doesn't matter which political party you vote for. I think this is incredibly important. We're going to make a loop around and then we're going to end the episode there. It doesn't matter what political party you vote for. Okay? They're all basically serving the same team. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. It's just all meant to divide the nation. It's all meant to distract us while they live a life of luxury, while they take more of our freedoms, more power, and more money. It's all just meant to distract us, to pacify the populace. That's it. That's all it's meant to do. Whether it's, you know, topics of racism, feminism, whatever, all the issues that exist today, whether it's Democrats, whether it's Republicans, it doesn't matter. It's all meant to divide us and keep us fighting amongst ourselves so that we don't really realize who's really pulling the strings behind it. Who's really the man behind the curtain, in the like the Wizard of Oz, to keep us situated in the matrix, I guess you could say. The matrix that is America. <laughs> it's a, an interesting way of putting it. Keeping us distracted. Keeping us in this illusion as long as they possibly can. That's the that, that's the goal. So guys, you know, I, the only way to truly get away from this, like I said, is to stop focusing on politics. Stop focusing on who is the right political candidate. None of them are. The right thing is to take control over the source of your income and realize that you are the only one that has control over your life. And yes, I understand there are things that happen in our life that we can't control, but we can control how we react and therefore we have an influence on the out, the overall outcome of even things that happen to us that we can't overall control. Me and my wife are experiencing a, a turbulent time financially right now. I can't get in the weeds of it, but our, we're being very careful with how we act, our actions, because we know it will ultimately drive the, the, the outcome, even though we had no control over what happened. And that sucks. 
but it is what it is. So ladies and gentlemen, you do have control. You have control to this day. All you got to do is make a choice. And I'm, I, I'm simplifying it. I know it's hard. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work, and but it's so worth it. It's hard to continue to do something and see very little performance for long periods of time. But eventually, like I said, persistence, that number one character that defines the winners, that separates them from the losers, that persistence, risk-taking. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what defines, that's what ultimately separates us, makes you a winner. Persistence. Sucking up the pain and moving forward anyways. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Eventually, we have to believe that it's going to work out. And that's, uh, I've sold out to that idea. I believe that it, at one day I will become financially free. So I'm, I'm not right now, but I believe I will. And this is why I'm doing it. Because I know what's coming down the, wrong, the line. And I hope it's not my time frame, but I fear that it, it could be. And even if it's not, I need to set myself up well so that I can set up my children well. And maybe my siblings and their children. Someone has to do it. Otherwise, they're just going to fall into slavery and, and be one of those statistics that you hear from, you know, World War II with Hitler. Oh, well, they were poor. They couldn't get out, so they died. It does happen, ladies and gentlemen. And it's going to happen here at some point. Not saying Hitler will happen here, but I'm just saying, or Nazi Germany, which by the way, Nazis are the Socialist Workers Party, by the way, socialism. Nobody wants to talk about that, but still, anyways, the point is, it's it, it's going to happen here. Eventually, America's going to deteriorate. It's going to happen. We need to be, pre be prepared for it. We need to keep working towards our own self-interest, working towards, you know, taking control of our income and uh, improving our life and the other others around us as well. That's what we need to do. So, all right, guys, that's going to be the end of the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. I thought it was a pretty good one overall. Uh, I know it was a lot of uh, reading two decently large articles, but um, I thought they were really, really important to read, and I wanted to tie the ideas in that I wanted to talk about, and um, they they were really good. I read them, and I thought, hey, this would be great to talk with my show about. So, you know, I didn't go off and read them for the purpose of, you know, contorting the message to what I wanted to say. No, I read them, really liked the message there, and it's like, yeah, that's great. And maybe I added a little bit in, of my own flair into that, but I thought it was really good. I thought it was information you guys should be aware of. I'll post the links in the, the show notes below so you guys can go and read them yourselves. I highly encourage that you do that. And uh, yeah, so guys, if you liked what I'm doing here, getting value out of it please consider sharing the show make sure to like subscribe and share wherever you are at this is how the show grows the show grows because you guys love it and you guys share it if you don't share it the show isn't growing okay so guys please help me continue to grow this message of financial freedom please help me to continue to spread this message to as many people as we possibly can odds are if you like it someone else is going to like it so please consider sharing it and consider, you know, giving me a, a thumbs up. Make sure to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're at. If you want to check me out, I'm on Twitter, Parler. I'm also on Facebook, YouTube. You know, I got all the links in the show notes below. So if you guys are interested, go check me out. Go follow me. Like the stuff there too. And hey, if you guys want to do something more to help me, I really would like to ask you guys 
to leave me a rating review on iTunes. Guys, when you do that, you help me get on the map on iTunes. You help me get in the, the ranking, if you will, uh, on iTunes. And, and people, the higher up on the ranking in terms of really good shows due to ratings and reviews, the higher up we are, the more people are going to it's going to see the show, the more visible the show is going to be. So if you love this show, if you like it, please head over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review so that we can get this show and the message that we have here on the map. And I greatly appreciate that. And last but not least, if you guys love what I'm doing, but you, you want to contribute to the show, but you don't really want to do the affiliate programs, you're not interested in that type of stuff. That's fine. That's cool. Um, consider giving a donation to the show. Guys, I need your help in order to continue to come in here and do this on a consistent basis. You know, I need just ultimately, I, I need your help. I can't do this without you guys, you know, and uh, if you like what I'm doing, if you're getting value out of it, please consider giving a donation to the show so that I can come in and continue to give you value and also consider uh, you giving a donation to the show so that I can continue to grow this message of financial freedom, you know. The, show, the the money will be used to keep the show going. The money will be used for advertisement as well. It's ultimately going to be used to create the great content that you guys love and also to grow the message, okay? So that said, guys, if you want to help grow the show, uh, that's a great way to do it. Please consider giving a donation. I'll, I will post the link in the show notes below. And uh, that said, guys, hey, if you'll do all that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a wonderful day.